Hi everyone, welcome to another live episode of Before You Take the LSAT. Before You Take the LSAT is an online resource with the mission to provide aspiring lawyers and future law students insight into the various career paths that exist with a JD degree. My name is Doreen Benyamin and I interview various law students, recent grads and lawyers talking about their unique path. Today I get to speak to Jake Sussman. He's a recent graduate of Harvard Law School, class of 2018. Jake has an extremely unique path in that he dropped out of high school at the age of 14. He attended community college and transferred to Rutgers all before starting Harvard Law School at the age of 20. Jake continued to excel throughout law school, becoming one of only six law students in the entire country to serve as a business consulting intern at one of the top three consulting firms in the country, Boston Consulting Group, during his first summer. The following summer, Jake served as a summer associate at Simpson Thatcher, one of the top 10 law firms in the country, known for its selectivity in hiring students who earn high grades in top 14 law schools. And currently, Jake is the COO and co-founder of a legal tech startup called Evisor. Did I get that all right? Sounds good. Okay, awesome. So just so you know, if you haven't been here for an interview before, how this works is I ask questions that I have prepared, but we love audience interaction. So if you have questions, you're welcome to submit. And with that, we're going to get started. Okay, how are you doing? Uh, good. That was Looking a lot of me talking. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. It's really cool to be here at the Harvard Innovation Lab. We're going to start with one of the first parts of your story, which is dropping out of high school. So obviously you're really motivated and driven to get to where you've gotten to now. What was going through your mind when you decided to drop out of high school? And did you have a plan moving forward or was it a decision that you made with the intention of figuring out along the way? Wouldn't it be cool if I had a plan? <laughs> I mean, you were 14, so yeah. it's fair if you didn't, but I'm sure that you also had reasons. Yeah, I wish I had a plan. Uh, I didn't. Okay. Um, when, I was, when I was in elementary school, I was not a good student. Okay. And high school wasn't any different. Okay. So, wasn't it the class? Usually skipped it. Wow. And so, by the time I was 14, it was just, I kind of hit a dead end there. Okay. Um, I was also in a religious school, mm -hmm. and so, um, but I'm not very religious. Okay. And so, um, you can imagine I didn't love it. Yeah. And so when I was 14 and I was in a school that focuses on the religious aspect of it, and I'm already not a great student, uh, I kind of just hit a wall where I said, why continue? Yeah. And so I basically stopped going to school, dropped out, started working, um, but well, did not have a plan. So where did you work once you left high school? Yeah. So uh, I worked in a nonprofit and I just hustled and tried to have different things I had going on where I sold some stuff on eBay until they shut me down because apparently you have to be 18 to sell there. Might have been my first startup if I if, if you, I had succeeded there. Yeah. So at what point did you decide, I'm going to go to community college and go back to school again? Yeah. So after I stopped going to to school, I, I moved to New York for maybe about a year. Yeah. And wasn't doing very much. I was working on these jobs, wasn't really moving anywhere. You moved and from New Jersey to New York? That's right. Yeah, okay. I grew up in New Jersey if my accent doesn't show so it. So you moved really far? Uh, yeah, across the river. Just kidding. Okay. In New Jersey, we okay. like to think we're close to New York. Yes. But just kidding. in New okay. York, they say otherwise. Yeah. Um, and so moved across and was working these odd jobs, playing sports and just having fun. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't really know where I would go from there. Yeah. But started spending a little bit of time, maybe an hour a day, studying for GED, mm -hmm. which is like the high school equivalent diploma. Okay. So when you were at Washington County College and you already knew that you were studying business at that point. Uh, I did not know that. Um, because your concentration I, was in business at the community college. It was. Uh, I went in there and, to be honest, I didn't know how college worked. 
Okay. I, I didn't really know what a major was even. Um, I, I remember showing up to the first day of class and I, it was my first class in like two years or three years. Yeah. And so I, I was just kind of learning it all and taking it in. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they asked me what major you want to be, I said, I don't know. So they put down general studies business. But I think you, we talked about it before with my background. I knew I wanted to do something involving uh, the business side. Um, if I was to like throw, throw a dart and pick which one I'd end up in, that would probably be where I would have picked. Okay, and then you went to Rutgers, but did you have an idea that that was where you wanted to go next? Nope. Did you have a mentor throughout all of this at all? So not so much for the college side, I, but I did have somebody who, from when I was younger, when I was in eighth grade or so, Yeah. Um, I, I never fin- finished elementary school either. Uh, community college was my first graduation. Wow. He, he's somebody who I got to know who became a very close mentor of mine. He had been expelled from school when he was in sixth grade. Wow. Um, Were you expelled? I was never, it was close. Instead of focusing on my studies, I focused on having a good time. Yeah. So, like, everything from, I don't know if I say this on a video, but breaking into the principal's office, throwing things uh, on the bus or whatever it was, um, I tested the limits. Okay, so how do you think that your background, like coming from a, a religious community or a religious school, affected your, and your transition away from that, affected your career path and your decisions? It's interesting because I never thought of myself as a good student. Okay. Um, That's crazy. So you never imagined yourself where you are now? Oh, definitely not. Okay. I mean, I'm still not a great student. You probably don't want to see my law school grades. Okay, we'll I, talk about that. I, I think I just, when I thought about school, maybe it was a bit different. Um, but there's, if you look at my classmates, there are, there are others too like that who, who maybe weren't the best in undergrad or weren't the best in, especially in, in elementary school. Yeah. Um, and college is a bit different because college is voluntary. You get to choose your own course. Mm-hmm. Um, I was shocked when I got a good grade in my first course there. I was like, I, I had never seen an A before. And so... Um, in col- in, at, at, at Rutgers or community college? Community, co- community college. college. Okay. Um, that was when I was like, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe it's possible. Okay, I'm going to talk to the camera for a second. I'm sorry. And to my sister, Shannon, who's here helping us. It looks like there are a lot of questions. And although I think we're going to leave them for the end, it would be nice to see what's coming in. Because if it's relevant, I would be happy to incorporate that now. Okay, sorry about that. Okay, let's continue with, with the questions. So... This guy is great. People like you already. What about me? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Let's talk about Harvard Law School and the application process because that came up more than once. Sure. People are asking about just generally the application process, how you approached it, but also if there were opportunities at Rutgers that you took advantage of that helped you with admissions. Yeah. It sounds like many of you already know you want to go to law school. I didn't. Um, I think maybe four years ago was when I started looking into it. And so I started looking into what was required for it at the time. Uh, it's GPA, LSAT. I'm sure everybody knows this already. But I think what was interesting is when I, when I actually went to a, the Rutgers pre-law advisor mm-hmm. for, for help, and they told me I could get into Northwestern. They said, you know, we, we placed a student there once. Yeah. Um, and so you could shoot high for that. that. That was when I stopped talking to them. And so that was the extent of my Rutgers pre-law advice. So you were still, I mean, not necessarily rebelling, but you, were, you weren't looking to it if you didn't agree with it. I think if, if you decide you want to go to a good law school and you're going to put in the work for it, then you, sh- you should do it. It's not guaranteed, but it's mm-hmm. something you can try for. Right. But it was interesting because in that office, there was a bit of a different different attitude around it um, in terms of what, what we should be shooting for. I've had this conversation about grades, too, where a lot of my classmates at Rutgers, some had straight A's, some had straight B's, some had straight C's. Yeah. Um, the ones who had straight B's, they often were just shooting for straight B's. Like, they told me going to the class, that was their, that was their target. So I, I think it was interesting when, when 
Pilot told me that, the, the advisor there, if that's what you say your goal is, you'll probably get that. But right. uh, I thought... It, dream big. If you go, go somewhere else, you want to go to the city and, you know, Columbia, um, right, that's the place to be. Um, you got to shoot for it. Right. And so at least at Rutgers, I think a lot of schools have this, the pre-law advising side needs a little bit of work, but there's a ton of other resources out there. So like top law schools, um, Google. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if they heard about them. I'm just kidding. <laughs> may have heard of Google. So. <laughs> okay. So did you have outside help besides obviously the pre-law counseling that you didn't find as helpful? Yeah. So when I thought about law school for the first time, mm-hmm. I reached out to a friend who'd He'd actually done really well in the LSAT. Yeah. Um, knew him through, like, a friend of my dad's son. Um, and I knew he was going to law school the next year. So I reached out to him. Yeah. He agreed to get coffee with me. Nice. And just walked me through the application process. It wasn't complicated. It's GPA, LSAT. Don't do anything too stupid in the, in the application. But I had never heard that before. Maybe it's because I wasn't pre-law, but I, I had never, I just didn't know what the requirements were. Yeah. And so... Maybe it's, it's my personality, but somebody tells me March forward, I can I can do that. Yeah. So he said, here's the four things you need to do. And so after that, I signed up for an LSAT course. Mm-hmm. Um, GPA is what it is. And so I, I took an, an LSAT course for that summer and applied the following fall. Okay. Just for anybody who's watching who's still studying for the LSAT or thinking about the LSAT, I do have a video on my channel on that topic. And I do, I mean, I might be biased, but I think it's helpful. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Just plugging that. Okay, so, I mean, Harvard Law School, there are a lot of ideas that people have about somewhere like that. What were your expectations like going in, and what was it actually like? And I just mean, like, the first year when you were just getting started. Yeah, I, I was pretty intimidated. Yes. I never thought I would go to, to Harvard. I didn't know anybody growing up who, who'd gone, and it's full of these really smart and really cool people who became my classmates. And so I was, I was pretty nervous. I didn't know what to expect, but just was sure that I, I'd be out of my league. <laughs> Um, they wouldn't accept you if it was out of your league. That's what they say. I, I believe that. I might have slipped through. <laughs> but I, I think what was interesting was kind of the two, two things to me like caught me by surprise. Or at least, if not surprise, it was what I, what I liked the most about it. One is the, the people that really are interested. There's a bunch of people who, who've done everything right from day one. They've worked really hard. They, they went to really good high school. They went to really good college. Um, and they're really impressive in their own right because they've academically they've, they, yeah. they've just always been working hard and, and seen the results, mm-hmm. and that's a big part of the class. But then there's a lot of people from like every walk of life, yeah, um, every background. From there, there are other people who might have uh, not been the best students. There are people who just spent like three or four years before traveling. There are people who are doctors. People who Jerry worked at the Supreme Court before coming to law school. Mm-hmm. Have we mentioned who Jerry is? <laughs> My co-founder at Episor. <laughs> And so, okay, we're going to talk about episode yeah. more, but just in case anybody doesn't know, that's what Jake is doing now that he's graduated. He's co-founder and COO of Evisort, which is a venture-backed startup, and Jerry's the original founder and, and a co-founder along with Jake, and he was the one who got Jake on board. So, just for context. Sorry, go yeah. ahead. So, I mean, that, that was the coolest thing about my first year is there, there are these people that I'd never been exposed to before who are way smarter, way harder working than I was. So I love that. Yeah. And I think I think many law schools have that too. It's not a Harvard thing. There, there is hard work. You have to take the LSAT. You have to you have to make it through college to go to law school. Yeah. And so in general, there's going to be a, a interesting crowd in mo- in most law schools. It'll be probably very different than what what undergrad is like, especially having gone to commuter schools. So. But I do think though that there's like there's a different emphasis at every law school. Like I know at Columbia. And I talked about this before in interviews, but Columbia focuses on work experience and it seems like they value the LSAT more 
than maybe even other schools, even though that's one of the most important for most schools. But I think Harvard, I would say, is probably the same, where work experience, not necessarily just in the legal field, is valued. Is that right? Definitely. Yeah. And there's a reason for it. Right. It it, it definitely... Brings something to the classroom, Yeah. Taking a year or two off before law school uh, adds a lot. More than I I realized. I was in that gung-ho mode of, I'm going to power through and finish school. I wish I hadn't. That's probably the one thing. Like, if if I could change it, I would have listened to other people take a year off. Although I got... What would you have done? I, I don't know. I worked in private equity for about seven months before yeah. law school, and I could have stayed there mm-hmm. or could have found something else interesting. But I came into law school pretty young and probably could have done a bit of growing up before I went. So You have so many questions about before you even started law school, so let's try to go through some of it quickly. People are asking, how did you approach studying for the LSAT? You said you took a prep course, but was it just for that a summer you did it for three months? Yeah, Doreen might be better than me at answering this because... I mean, you're more recent, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, but everybody has their own way of approaching it, and that worked for them. So I think it's interesting to hear. Yeah. So I spent about three months studying. I took an LSAT course. Okay. And so I took that course for three months, studied a lot, learned that I'm not very good at a lot of parts of it, hated reading comprehension for whoever takes it. But one thing that was interesting in that class was there were two types of people in the class. There were people who came in saying, I'm going to take a course, I'm going to take the test, and then I'm going to study again afterwards and take it again because this is just my practice test. And then my approach was, I hate studying for this. So I'm going to try to... And it sucked because my life did suck during that summer. What was your day like? I think that might have been like the longest hours I worked. Because I was also still a full-time student. Oh, my gosh. Really? Um, During was, the summer? Yeah, I was trying to graduate. So I was taking 12 credits that summer. Okay. Um, and then I was I worked as an EMT during college. Wow. And so there were a lot of overnight shifts where I'd have to work 12 hours overnight, try to get, like, three hours of sleep. And then now now, I, now it's different. Now I try to get, like, six or eight. But at the time, there was a lot going on. But what I saw was there were a lot of people who studied for the LSAT, took the course with the mindset of, this is my practice, and then I'll study afterwards. Three months is a long time. Yeah. Six months is even longer. Mm-hmm. And by month six, they were just burnt out. Yeah. Three months was short enough that it was it sucked, but yeah. it was doable. And I was able to, you know, you, you put in the five, six hours a day to study. Mm-hmm. But it, it at the end of three months, at least it was over. Okay, there are certain very specific questions about the LSAT that people are asking, and I don't like putting people on the spot, so I'm just going to ask it, and if you don't answer, I'm going to move on. <laughs> Because it's totally okay. People want to know what your gap was like between your LSAT and your GPA and what your LSAT score was. But if you don't want to answer that, we're moving on. Yeah, we can just skip that. Okay, let's skip that. Sorry, because they're very persistent, but I don't think that that's... Okay. One one thing I will say on that is, um, I know a lot of people take the practice test and and maybe don't do very well. Mm -hmm. I think that's most people. If you talk around any law school, uh, people and people who've done well at the LSAT, most people are going to end up having to improve by 15, 20 points. Many people will take it two or three times. A lot of my classmates took it. I know quite a few took took it three or more times. Yeah. The, one of the smartest people I know at law school, I know took it three times, like hit a ceiling at 166, and then had to like work really, really hard to get to get to the point where you could get into Harvard. So it's... It's a learnable test. Pe- people ask me a lot, is there like, I got a 148 or, a, you know, I got a, a 150. Yeah. Is it possible still? And I, I think if you put in the work, it's something that you can learn. Okay. What was the hardest adjustment you had to make once you started at Harvard? Yeah. So there's probably two things. One is there there really are very sharp people here. Mm-hmm. The professors are just insanely smart. Mm-hmm. Students are also. And what, what I learned over time is that you will be challenged in every direction by people here. Where if you say something, somebody will challenge you. Not in a bad way, but you 
They, if you choose to speak up, right? Or, or I mean, I guess you don't always have a choice. But even in friends. Okay. Um, but fine, it, it's a, in a good way. It's a that's great fair. thing. Yeah, no. But I, a lot of things that I had always thought coming into law school changed mm -hmm. since then. A lot of my beliefs have changed. Can you talk about one of them? I think it'd be interesting to hear how you've changed since you started. W without diving deep, I, I can just say that there's, um, you know, politics is always a hot topic. Okay, fine. That's and, good. Yeah. But it, a lot of views I had that I thought, you know, you, when, you, when I grow up, I was definitely affected by the area I grew up in. Yeah. But when you move out here, you're going to get a very different view from both sides. And people will be right, and you'll be wrong. I was wrong a lot. Okay, so, well, you said that you didn't do so well during your first year, but I just have to ask, if you went to Simpson, Simpson looks at grades, even if you go to a top law school, isn't that true? Uh, Simpson, I've heard they do. Who knows? Okay. Um, I think I did, like, average first okay, year. Okay, fine. Second and third year. It oh, okay, down. okay, so that's different. The first year is the most important. So I would just want to ask you, so what qualities do you think you have that were helpful for you to excel as a first year? So this wasn't something I learned. This was something a study partner of mine told me. Yeah. My grades were very different semester to semester. And one thing that changed between the two, because I'm not a great writer. If you look at my background, I never really learned how to write. I think the essay, too, is the first time I wrote an essay. Okay. And writing is a big part of it. Yeah. And so when you take law school exams, it's write responses. But one thing that I learned was there is a randomness aspect to it, but there is part of it is, is just learning what the professor wants to hear. I think that's true. So I might have quoted my professors a lot in their exams. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. By I think the end of my first year semester, I was looking at their papers, just copying phrases. Um, and it worked pretty well because I, I didn't know what it meant, but I did put it on the exam. So when you think about law school exams and you want to know what grades mean, if you get straight really good grades, like it, it's probably really impressive. But... There is a randomness factor, too, and it just copying quotes. Okay, so I'm just going to go straight into, into episode. Sure. So you and Jerry met during your first year. Yep. You bonded over being two out of the six law students in the country. This is what he told me, so I, I'm not 100% yeah. sure about this. But they, there were six law students in the entire country in that Boston Consulting Group summer intern class. Yep. And you guys were in different offices. He was in SF, yep. and you were here yep. in Boston. It was really difficult. There were a lot of challenges, and so you guys bonded over that. And then I am not sure what happens next. So how did, how did, you guys were also in the same section, correct? That's right. Did you know that he had started a startup and how did he approach asking you to join? Yeah. So Jerry, like Doreen mentioned, Jerry and I were in the same section. We actually studied together for BCG. Uh -huh. And so that's okay. how we became close when we worked together for the interview process. Everybody else was going out, grabbing drinks every night. Mm -hmm. There was like a winter term where there's no grades, so everybody has fun. Yeah, you, yeah. Were, you were not enjoying that. Okay. But I've heard it's great. <laughs> and so yeah. we, we would study every night to try to get the job. Mm -hmm. And we got lucky. And so we... You put the hard work in. We went in that summer not knowing what to expect. We'd never worked in an environment like that before. And it was really cool. It was really hard. It was challenging because Jerry and I were on the younger end of, of people in our position. There was, our class was basically made up of MBA students. So, like, in, in Boston office, um, there was 28 summer consultants that they hired. 26 were MBAs from either, like, Harvard Business School, MIT, Sloan, Dartmouth, mm -hmm. um, NYU, like, a, a variety of schools. And then there were two law students. <laughs> and the average MBA is going to be somewhere between, like, 27 and 35. So they, they all had a couple years of experience. We and had. you were 21. Right. So I was about the college student's age. So it was, it was cool. It was a learning experience. I think Jerry and I both learned a ton. Mm -hmm. We had to go from zero to 60 pretty quickly. Um, but after that summer, we, were, we, we got pretty close. And Jerry had mentioned to me that he be, had been researching a startup idea with our other co-founder, Amin. 
So he and Amin had met earlier a couple months back. Amin was a PhD student at MIT at the time. Yes. Um, in operations research. And you guys met through HLOV? So Jerry and, and Amin met through HLOV. Which is the Harvard Law uh, Entrepreneurship Project, which yep. we can talk about. Yeah. Later. yeah. Uh, I, or, or no. I don't work as closely with HLOV. Okay, cool. So HLOV is a student organization where, where students um, can help founders and, and startups with actual legal issues while they're students. And you work with students from other uh, schools as well, which exactly. is how Amin was involved. Exactly. Okay. Um, so Jerry and Amin met when Amin was Jerry's client what? Uh, on a different startup. So they... Wow. Yeah. And it, it's cool. We So I ended up meet, getting more introduced to HLEP as a client too when we went to them with some questions. So wow. I got to experience that side of that. And it's pretty cool that students get to do that. But it's a great organization. Yeah. It's... it's it sounds you're very interested, practical. Yeah, so I didn't actually do the student side, but right. if you're interested in working with startups, one, it's it's a way to actually do it, mm -hmm. and two, it's a, it's with any student organization, it's a way to meet people who are interested in the same thing. And so, if you're trying to meet out of a group of two thousand students at Harvard Law, you're gonna you're gonna try to meet the hundred or fifty that are interested in the same thing. Mm -hmm. If you want to find students that are interested in startups, you go to HLEP. Okay, so uh, when you and Jerry were working on the startup, did you find that because you had that background in BCG? that you tended to approach problem solving in a similar way? Or did you rebel against the way that I'm just kidding? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But seriously, so did that affect the way that you guys approached uh, problem solving? It definitely, we, maybe we've weaned off it by now, but for a long time we used terms. Mm -hmm. um, there, there were a couple terms that we just became our jargon, our slides, when we made Evisor PowerPoint slides, definitely reflected that. Yeah. So may, maybe even more than we realized, it definitely influenced us. Um, it was only two months at BCG, but but it was a lot of hard work, right? What were the hours like when you were at BCG? So it's interesting because it's different than law firms. In law firms, I think it's more seven days a week. Yeah. Maybe it gets a little lighter on weekends. But again, I, I didn't work in a law firm full time, so. You so, did Simpson as yeah, a summer. Exactly. Which is, I guess, different. Yeah. But BCG and consulting, in our experience at least, was something where it was a very much a week, uh, like a weekday job, mm -hmm. but very intense during the week. So from Monday through Friday, your your or at least Monday through Friday afternoon, your weekend was BCGs or your weekend was McKinsey's or Bain's or whatever. And so you'd fly to the client site. Um, I was flying out to the Midwest every week. You'd stay there. You'd stay in a hotel. You'd work pretty much till you went to sleep. If you went to the gym or something during the day, and then next morning you do the same thing during the week. What, what I liked a lot was they were very protective about weekends. I saw my manager scream at somebody once because she sent an email on the weekend, and that was very powerful to me. So that the weekends were nicer. If you could describe the culture a little bit, because I think that there are law students who consider consulting, especially when they do see what it's like at a, a at a big law firm, and some people are no longer interested. So can you just talk a little bit about maybe comparing what it was like to be uh, working in consulting versus big law? Yeah, there's there's a couple of very big differences. There's there's a work life component of hard during the week, weekends off, versus law firms, a little bit more spread out. And, and there's reasons in, in terms of the work you do that drives that. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest difference is in consulting, you're not so focused on the little details. You have to do well. Like you can't make mistakes because if you lose credibility, if you do, mm -hmm. if clients see that your math doesn't add up. But in law, it's, it's very much about making sure um, like the, the periods are right, the commas are in the right place, not a letter is off. And there's a lot of time spent just, just moving paper around like that. But in consulting, it was much more focused on business objectives with a maybe not day-to-day, -day, but more of a slightly longer-term timeline where we have like three weeks to, to finish a project or a month, and our job was to solve some business issue. So we're actually saying, okay, here's a we have a company, they're a client, and this is a problem they have. 
or this sort of thing they're trying to do, how are we going to do it? Usually with a pretty open and broad scope. And then it was a couple of weeks of just narrowing it down, getting to the answer, drilling down with, with some very smart people around you who guided you along the way. Law is, was a little bit more in the, it was interesting too, but it was much more in the like companies doing something and they have to formalize in an agreement or they have paper they have to review to make sure that it, it's going to work fine. Can you do it? And it was more, more of a day-to-day operation. Did you find that you liked consulting more than you liked working at the big law firm? I did, but the, the law firm was interesting in different ways. Mm-hmm. But I liked the consulting a lot because when I was at the law firm and I, I worked on some cool M&A deals where companies were buying other companies for billions of dollars. Yeah. But even when I was at the law firm, I, my mind right away went to like the why. What is a business justification for it? And I, maybe I, even too deeply, I, I would like try to research like the financials they put together, the, the case they put together. And... In consulting, that's what your job is. It's to make the case. It's to figure out should you do it or it's to actually execute on it if they've decided to buy a company. Mm-hmm. But it's more on the business side of thinking about the strategy. And I, I just, for myself at least, it was more interesting thinking about it on that side of the aisle than it was on the legal side. So, okay, we should talk a little bit more about what Evisor is if you could, yeah. answer, if you could first sure. answer that question. So just a quick background on Evisor. So we're, we're a startup that uses artificial intelligence to read and analyze contracts and legal documents. And so um, if, if you think about any company today, they have thousands and thousands of contracts that really govern everything that goes on in the company. So everything from the building that they stay in, the lease, they have a lease agreement that says they can be in that building, to they have suppliers and they have contracts with them. They, ha- they sell things, and so they have contracts with the people that buy stuff from them. It drives their business. But these are documents, and there's lots and lots and lots of them, and there's a lot of information in them. And companies today are struggling to actually like, manage them and know beyond knowing that the document exists. Mm-hmm. And, and even that's a challenge. They're struggling to actually extract information like, what do other people owe us? What do we owe other people? When will this agreement expire? What should we negotiate? Mm -hmm. What are the terms that we agree to? And so we use machine learning to actually read these documents and pull the important data and just present just that to lawyers, operations professionals, finance folks, really anybody in a company that cares about the information and contracts. So it's it's a bit legal related after all, after going to law school, (laughs) but it's... uh, that's what we do at a high level. And and your clients tend to be not just in-house counsel, because it's, it's less at this point big law firms. It's more like in-house counsel, accountants. Yeah. So we work with, like I mentioned, everybody in companies who deals with contracts. Yeah. And so our clients have been everybody from the general counsel, the chief financial, financial officer, like the head of supply chain. We've had a bunch of random titles mixed in there of, of various company-specific things. But it's really because every part of the company gets touched by it, it's not only the lawyers. The lawyers care too. Mm-hmm. But it's not only the lawyers because sometimes it falls on the business side folks, in fact, usually to manage parts of these contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, if you sign an agreement saying you're going to do something, the lawyer is not going to be the one to do it usually. Right. It's the business right. side. Or if somebody's supposed to do something for you, it's the same thing. Yeah. And so it's we thought it would only be lawyers, but when we started selling it, mm-hmm. our clients would loop in other people in the company who would who would be, be involved. And so we, we went in thinking like we'd be just working with lawyers, but it's, it's been cool because we're able to impact pretty much the entire organization when they work with us. Has that been challenging? Every person that you're dealing with that comes from a different area within the company, they probably speak a little bit of a different language or the way that they approach things is a little bit different. So did you find that a challenge to be able to speak in that person's language? Yeah, there's a lot of challenges. I think every day in a startup is hard. Mm-hmm. And luckily, like Jerry, Amin, and the rest of our team yeah. are, are all really, really talented. Mm-hmm to the point where they're able to adapt very quickly and they can work with clients of every kind, even when something new comes up. Law firms, uh, consulting, really any of these big service firms, they're very structured. 
Yeah. You, you probably know what you're going to do the next day. There, there's nuance within it. Yeah. But you know what you're going to do the next day. If, right. if something happens and something new comes up, you have a manager to turn to. Yeah. But here, it's figuring out on your own as you go. Yeah. And luckily, over time, we built up mentors and advisors who've helped us out. And, and we can now turn to for advice when we have questions. But it's, it's definitely challenging. We're lucky. Uh, our team is, is a very cool team. I think everybody on our team trusts each other. And that's important at this stage when you're 15 people or 10 people sitting in a room every day talking to each other every day. There's no way to succeed if you can't do that. I just want to mention now that at the end of this interview, we were thinking about giving a tour of the iLab if Jake is up for it. So sure. if, if you guys want to stick around for the end of it, I think it'd be super cool to see. I really love this space. I mean, I don't go to Harvard, but this is something that I find really, really cool. It's all the graduate school students, or actually any, yeah. is it any Harvard student is allowed to use this space? Yeah, so the iLab is Harvard's student incubator slash accelerator. Mm -hmm. And so basically any student in any of the Harvard schools, if they're working on a startup or are thinking about a startup, they can come here. And I guess if we'll do the tour, you guys will see it. But it's it's basically both a, a workspace where you can come here to actually work on your startup. They have a lot of resources. A lot of really cool people come in every day yeah, and spend time on startups. <laughs> Some of our investors uh, have floated in here. Wow. They, they, they do surprise visits in a good way. It's it's really, it's actually cool. It's a place where just all, all the students who are working on startups can come together. When we're, when we're facing issues, there are other teams here that are facing similar issues and they can help us, we can help them. So it's, it's a pretty cool workspace and we'll, I guess, show everybody afterwards. Okay. Awesome. So would you say that you are less risk averse than the average law student? Because law students tend to be more risk averse. I'm not sure. Okay. I think it's startup is scary because yeah. there is a lot of risk. I go to a law firm, I know exactly what I'll earn in seven years. Yeah. I, I can literally say what my salary will be unless they raise it. It's not going to go down. <laughs> Startups are definitely different, but... Maybe maybe it's because we've we've done it for two years, but I it's it's something where where I'm just excited about it that maybe I don't even think about that side as much anymore. Now it's just it's it's become what what I do every day, and that's again part of having a, a really good team around you. You focus in on the end goals, maybe less so than the will we fail, but more how are we going to succeed. That's amazing. So it's lucky to have a good team. But what I what all of us we were just talking about this the other day, but what all, all of us on our team have in common is we, we know there's an issue. The legal world is changing a lot. What lawyers are doing is changing. What people think about legal documents is changing. And we could go to law firm, we could work hard and we could watch and it would change still like over time. Or we could be a part of it and, and help push it forward. And it was a change that we believe should happen based on what we'd learned, what we'd heard, the actual work we did at law firms. And so when it when it came down to it, we wanted to be the ones to do it. We wanted to be the ones that help change how the industry operates and help change what people in the industry do every day to make their lives better. When you don't have to look through and read a 50-page document and can spend one minute instead on it, your life's a lot better. You go home earlier, you have better results, your company does better. And so, and, and when we hear that with our clients, it makes me feel good. Like, it's, it's a nice feeling. When it came down to it, this was this is what we're all passionate about. And so, it, it was a no-brainer. I think I have just, you know, a few questions. I'm going to try to cut it short. Did you ever consider dropping out? Of law school? Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Uh, we, we talked about it all the time. And what happened? So this is recorded, so I don't know how much I should say. Uh, I will say that law school is interesting. If you want good grades, you have to work really, really hard. That's true. It's, That's like, true. like I mentioned, there's a lot of smart people here. Yeah, and it's on a curve, so it doesn't matter. Right. You know, you can all be hardworking, but... Com coming into it might be a yeah. bunch of people who got A's every day in college. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I guarantee that two-thirds won't get an A here. And so if you want good grades, you got to work hard. But the flip side is if you don't want good grades, you can choose to focus your energies elsewhere. And so I would say our second and third years, the iLab actually became our, our home, basically. Mm -hmm. Spent a lot more time here than I did in class. Mm -hmm. And the school was nice to us. And, and you don't regret that, do you, at all? Uh, no, I, I'm glad I did. And I probably should have spent more time here. <laughs> 
Nice. Okay, so that was one of them. The other one was when you were speaking about the fact that you really wanted to do a startup because of the way that it was affecting people's lives. I'm just curious, do you have a vision of how you want to impact the world or the purpose that you have internally a mission or a mission for ever? So I'm just yeah. curious if, if, if there was a way that you were thinking about the world that you were like, this this is why this makes sense to me, to like pursue this. I think I think we, we are fundamentally changing what it means to be a lawyer in a company. Not in a way where it's hurting them, but more it, it's making them better. Um, it's making companies better, and, and it's we, we're all fundamentally what we're doing is not it's not just selling a product, it's it's we're actually making their lives better. Mm -hmm. And so, I think, and the impact that we can have there is huge because we have endless ideas of, of things we want to do that, and that we want to build over time. And each of these things are things that people today do manually or spend a lot of time on, and things that technology has been built out that can help them out. Yeah, um, and so when you think about what you should be doing in companies. Humans are complex. There are things they can do that machines can't. And that's probably what, what we should be doing as opposed right. to things that we can automate. And nobody wants to be repetitive. Nobody wants to copy and paste stuff from Excel spreadsheets all day. Mm -hmm. um, people, yeah. people want themselves to be doing more impactful work. And so what, what we've built is not just something that I think helps companies. It helps people in companies be more impactful. And I want to keep doing that. I know our team wants to keep working on that um, with that with that in mind. Of we, can, we can help a lot of people in that way. So how do you respond to people like current students who are afraid that AI is taking over their jobs? I don't think that's the issue. I think humans are different than what AI does. Okay. But what I will say is that there definitely is a, a requirement for both companies, law firms, everybody to adapt. Yeah. So if you look back 30 years ago, the way people, the way law firms worked, they, they, I don't know if they had computers then or it was typewriters, but it was very different than it is today. Now everything's on Word and, and people work a lot faster. If you need to research something, you... They have legal search engines. They're not going to go and go down to the library and pull out a book. And so the industry is constantly changing. And I think, I think the legal industry will evolve with it. And when you go to law school, your classes in five years are going to look different than what they look like today. I don't think lawyers are going anywhere. I think what it means to be a lawyer is going to shift over time. Okay. What keeps you driven, not necessarily just now, but throughout your path? Like when your pre-law counselor told you this is where you should aim and you're like, no, that's not my ceiling and that's not my goal. What was driving you? Uh, <laughs> so I think I have a lot of things that I think drive me. Yeah. But if you're not surrounded by other people who are also driven, all that's worthless. And so like part of being in the innovation lab, for example, is that you're surrounded by other people who are driven to work on a startup, which by definition is something that's likely to fail. I think we're the exception, but it's likely to fail. It's going to be hard. You're fighting uphill. There's probably a bigger company you're fighting against. Mm -hmm. And so they all have to be very driven. And <laughs> when you're here, I'm surrounded by the same types of people yeah. who are working very hard towards it. And so it almost makes that anything else is, is not an option. And I've been lucky at other points in my life to be surrounded by similar people who have that same attitude where they're going to, they they view their job as to get it done and to, to do what they want to do, even if maybe the odds say they shouldn't. Okay, so at this point, thank you so much. That I think that's it for the questions that I'm going to ask you. I'm going to try to incorporate some questions that other people have asked. Sure. Maybe you've touched on this a little bit, but how will Evisort change the law world, legal world? Yeah, I talked about it, but it's going to change what it means to be a lawyer. Yeah. And that it lets you focus more on the on the analysis side, more on the thinking about the legal issues, instead of doing things that don't require any legal training. Because when you're a lawyer, that means you've been through seven years or more of school. Yeah. And so you've got a lot of training. You have specialized skills. Um, you'll, when you work for three years as a lawyer, you have a lot more specialized skills. And so 
I think when you think about why you want to be a lawyer, if you're thinking about why you want to go to law school, going through it, searching for tax, that didn't require 10 years of training. Right. And so that's, that's what's going to change, I think, for, for lawyers everywhere. And it's a good thing. It, it'll make them better. And it'll make the job more interesting. Okay. So Ivana is asking, did the anti-entrepreneurial spirit of law school ever rub you the wrong way? Or did you appreciate seeing other perspectives? Anti is a strong word. I don't know if I'd use that. I think there's definitely a lot of students who go down a very, like there, there's a very structured path right. towards big law. But I wouldn't say it's anti-entrepreneurial. Uh, I think our classmates were very supportive and excited for us. And so I, I wouldn't say that, but there's definitely... I think, I think what she's saying is just that you you really, really yeah. are going against the green. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. So, but there's definitely, what Doreen said is right. You You are veering from the guaranteed path where it's very safe, it's comfortable, you don't have to do any work after first year. I had my offers. I didn't have to do any more work. I could I could just sit back, watch Netflix all day, which to be honest seems nice, but I could have done that and, and just gone to a law firm. So yeah, it, the option is there, but I think if something catches your eye, once you get the bug for it and you're interested and you want to do it, it slowly just becomes what, what your focus is on. And maybe that path just didn't seem like an option after not too long. How did you manage running a startup and going to law school? I mean, I also think you addressed that just a, a yeah. bit, but maybe if you can... Talk about that a little bit more. It's There's 24 hours in a day, and so you choose to allocate it to studying. You can choose to allocate it to watching TV, or you can choose to allocate it to a startup. And I would say everybody on our team allocated much more of their time to working on the startup than they did to studying and pretty much minimized. Like there, there's, there's some baseline, and that's exactly what we did, not a minute more. And so we made the choice that grades weren't the most important thing for us. Building as fast as we could was much more important. And Which you and, have to, right? With a startup, if you're not building as fast, the money just runs out. Yeah, I mean, and we have expectations we need to deliver on. It's not in a bubble. There are companies that are using what we built. And so we need to always be improving it and making it better and making sure it works. And so yeah, that was one thing that, was, that I think is very different from school projects, which is you work on something, the semester's over and it's done. You never look at it again. <laughs> right. Uh, this is long term, much more long term. This, it's and it, it doesn't end in that sense. Because what you've built, you then are going to have to give out fix when there's issues, make better. And so there's excitement about that, but there's also the additional work that's required for it. So can you say what a day would look like for you or a week? I think it varied a lot. Yeah. But it's at this, at the last semester it was wake up, you go to the iLab. Uh, what time? People yeah. have asked me multiple times about day to day. So I think people are curious to hear how it, the breakdown looks like. There's different starts at different stages, but for the stage we're at, it's our job. It's more than a job, but it's also is our job. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same way you, you wake up in the morning, you, you get dressed and you go to go to your job and yeah. you work there until you, you know, until you get done what needs to get done for the day. That, that's basically what it became for us. Yeah. So. And when I, you were in school, like maybe how many hours would you spend? The, what, what was the minimum, if you had to say? So my last semester, I, I did not work very hard at all in school. Yeah. I skipped a lot of classes. There were some classes I never went to. Your friends called you out on that, by the way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this might have to get cut from the video, but I think I spent about 15 hours total last semester in school. Wow. Yeah. So that's the baseline. And what about your third full semester in law school? I think it's, it's just been a downward line where every semester has been less and less, except for the occasional semester where I screwed up and took the wrong class. Yeah. I think it just went down every semester from first year, where maybe the third semester was did more work than the fourth semester, did more than the fifth, and so on. Yeah. Okay. Maybe one thing that I'll ask you is, what? how did you decide what you would talk about in your personal statement? So I'm not a good writer, so people probably shouldn't listen to my advice here. You got in. What I, what I will say is, for me, when I grew up, because I, I lived in a religious community and then I, I lived in a more non-religious life, yeah. it felt like I'd lived in two different worlds. 
And so I chose to write about that because especially at that point in time, that was what had been most of my life experience, seeing something from a, a community where it's very close, it's close knit, like to help each other, but they also like to keep everything in the community versus out in the world where it's a bit more, there's a lot going on out there. And so I chose to write about just the experience moving from one to the other, where like I mentioned, I didn't know what a master or a bachelor degree like major is. Um, I, I didn't know how to write an essay. I didn't know really like how the world worked and I'm still learning. Yeah. But that to me was, was definitely what had affected and, and I was still learning, of course, but it what is what it affected my life at that point. And so I chose to write about that because that was what was most personal to me. I just want to say, I don't like giving too much advice, but I do want to say that I think one thing that does work for personal statements is talking about something that's very unique to you because there are not that many people who could talk about the things that you were talking about in your personal statement. And I think that's what makes it really powerful is just it's so unique to your story and how you got to where you are. I'm pretty sure I still wrote at the bottom, like, I want to be a lawyer and here's why. Right, right. But still, that part uh, of it was very unique to you. Yeah. So instead of straying away from something that made you unique, you focused on it. And I think that's helpful. Yep. I, I will turn to you for any personal statement advice because <laughs> this is like one thing I know I'm, I'm not good at. Okay. Can you want to do one more question and then we'll... Sure. So Jamal asked, do you have any advice for high school underachievers that weren't motivated in school? I think it's for every person, it's a personal journey, but maybe it's worth asking why. Well, why isn't he motivated? I mean, it's not after high school, everything's magically necessarily going to change, but everybody's got different things that motivate them and different things that interest them. And maybe in high school, you have to follow a track, but maybe you can, in college, you can do what actually catches your attention. I think having some sort of longer term goal definitely helps. If it's law school, if it's something else, that's important. Yeah. But I would probably start with the why, because that, that's, yes. that's, that's the most important thing. If, if there's, you're not motivated, why you're not motivated to me would be the first thing I'd ask. Okay. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you, Jake, so much for that tour and for answering all of those questions. And tune in there. I'm hoping to do more episodes maybe on Sundays and Wednesdays. So I'll keep you guys posted. But if you subscribe, you'll hear about them. Like the videos, <laughs> share, all that fun stuff. Thank you for joining us.